Today's episode is with Dr. Lisa Lewis. I threw some tough questions at her. Um, she answered them all like a champion. She, uh, she offers a lot to the fitness industry and honestly any industry because there are so many uh, avenues and ways to, to learn how to make people fit, to learn how to get fit, to learn how to progress yourself, to learn how to um, work on your weaknesses and work on your strengths. But there's a missing link because there's so many people that are battling things. There's so many instances where people experience burnout or where they feel like emotionally worn down. And we talked about a lot of that stuff. If you are a trainer, if you are a fitness enthusiast, if you are a business owner, if you are a human being, if you drink water, if you like cookies, you will enjoy this episode. It would mean a lot and I really rely on you to share these episodes. So please share on social media, tell your dog, tell your mom, tell your friends, tell your teacher, tell your sister, tell your brother. Um, you get the point. A genuine thank you to Dr. Lisa Lewis for joining me and to you for listening. So I'll get started. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase Season 2. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at Yeg Fitness. So welcome to episode 105 of The Lifestyle Chase. I am joined by the one and only Dr. Lisa Lewis. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. So if you were at a party and you had to describe yourself in like three sentences about the things that you're passionate about, about the things that your day-to-day entails, how would you describe yourself? In three sentences. Um... I am a psychologist who is a therapist by trade. I have a great love for all things athletic um, and my professional life mirrors that. So I get to uh, practice having conversations with people and problem solving with them. And a lot of those people are either athletes physically or have an athletic mindset uh, in their approach to life. And I get to kind of do a broad range of things like teach and do therapy and consult and educate. Um, And so it's just a very dynamic life, both professionally and I think personally, too. I like it. Um, Before we dive too far in, I want to give people as much platforms to uh, learn more about you as I can. So you've made you made a ton of podcast appearances. I think I gave it a quick scroll and there was 16 without even trying to look very hard. But oh, I'm wow. Sure there's a lot. There's there's tons. Like, uh, I've had Jason Leonards. He's been on my podcast. He's had you a few times. Yeah. Um, Dean and Andrew, they've had you on at least once, maybe twice. Yeah, twice. Yeah, one's about to come out. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, there there's so many um, opportunities to get to know you from different angles. And it's also kind of like... Uh, it's a great way to vet a guest. If they've been on podcasts in that quantity, in that volume, 
it's probably worth it to listen to the other ones. So for anybody listening to this podcast, I implore you to uh, give it a search on iTunes or Spotify and listen to the other ones. Because what I do as a host is I listen to those other ones and I try to talk about different stuff so that my guest wow. isn't just bored with, with saying the same thing Thank over you. and over. Yeah. First of all, I didn't realize I had been on that many um that thank you very much for that feedback and second of all thank you for listening to some of those or more than some of those because that's a lot of vetting <laughs> it's, you got to do what you got to do like yeah, I guess. when when you're trying to provide something that's valuable to somebody you have to uh, set yourself apart and uh, do your research and sometimes that's a big commitment but that's the the commitment we take on as podcast hosts mhm and so then well, the second that's oh fabulous. Uh, the second thing that I want to shout out, because I find that a lot of people, they listen to the podcast and they're like, okay, I'm 10 minutes in, time to go watch Netflix or something. So we got to get right. this stuff out of the way. The way that you and I came across was at a fitness summit in Kansas City. And so I got to watch your presentation. And so to put things in perspective, a lot of these fitness events, it's a lot of dudes. It's a lot of dudes that are jacked, that feel or look, maybe not feel, I should say they look like nothing could ever rattle them, like they are unstoppable, like they mm. never have to be vulnerable, that they never have to show emotion. And just mm. the, the reaction to your presentation and to many of your presentations going forward and to what you offer to the fitness industry is more impactful than a lot of things out there. And so like I'll, I'll give an example. I had Jeb Stewart Johnston on my podcast recently, and mm. I know that you've worked a lot with him and I know that he's impactful to the industry as a whole because of what what he puts out, the messages that he puts out and his sort of like his his uh, credibility. But yeah. you've impacted him to be able to impact others. And we've just uh, recently crossed path uh, past um, International Women's Day. And yes. so it's it's important for me to outline the impact that very specific people can have on the fitness industry while it might get overlooked, it's important to highlight, which then segues me to, and I'm, hopefully I get this right, you have a course available, Psych Skills for Fitness Pros, with That's the promo, right. promo running till March 16th, am I right? That's right, yes, that and is And so me as the host here, I can't emphasize how much, how valuable that is, not only for people who train people, but perhaps for people who are leading groups of people, people connecting with people, just the communication skill is such an underrated skill and something mm. that can take you to the next level in anything that you're doing. So for most of my high performer listeners that need a resource that is uh, priced very, uh, very uh, easy to, to access kind of thing, uh, the, the psych skills for fitness pros is a great resource. They can get it at drlisalewisconsulting.com. Am I right? It's drlewisconsulting.com. Oh, okay. Yeah. DrLewisConsulting.com, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. And $100 off until the 16th. That's correct. Sweet. And this is, is this in U.S. currency? Yes, it is. So for Canadians, $100 U.S. off, that's like 500 Canadian off. So like that, that's huge. I'm kidding. It's, it's not that <laughs> much. Saying, I'm, just, no, it's I'm not totally that messing with you, but it's is more than a hundred dollars off in Canada. Mm. And so when we're making investments in U.S. currency, these discounts in U.S. currency, I mean, proportionately, it's just it's the same shit, different pile. But uh, <laughs> as far as marketing something goes, 
it looks like a really good deal. Mm. Well, good. I got that out of the way. Thank you. Now I'm going to give my audience some connecting pieces because my audience, um, I have a lot of people that really like spin. Um, I have a lot of people that, uh, well, I'll I'll give you some insight. One of my most popular episodes is uh, Farah and Nahid Sharif. So Dr. Farah Sharif and... When I saw your presentation, I was sitting in Kansas City and I think she was watching my Instagram story and I was like, Farah, you have to follow her. And then when I noticed that you followed Farah back, I thought that was so cool. And just (laughs) you both have that connection of uh, having spin as part of your life. So tell me a bit more about what spin has done for you, just like uh, the, the changes or the insights or anything in how it's influenced how, why you do what you do? Mm. Well, first of all, I, you know, my relationship with spin came from this very selfish personal place of it being a place where I could be my athletic identity. You know, I could be my athlete. I think a lot of athletes when they finish high school or college, wherever they're playing, they lose that part of themselves that gets to be an athlete. And so when I got into spinning, it actually was because I had an injury from running. And so I was just leaning into spinning more. And then when I went back to graduate school, I couldn't afford a gym membership. So I let, let it go. And I thought, well, if I become the instructor, then I bet I get to go for free. <laughs> um, so that's kind of what led me to get my certification. Of course, I thought, well, I get to go for free and then I get to each maybe like make a little bit of money. Um, but in that experience of, of getting into that, I just, you know, my athletic self could come out in there. So I could push really hard and I could, um, be a captain or be a leader and be that intense part of myself that I think is not welcomed in all contexts of life. And I just love that so much. And then of course I was in graduate school, so I was learning mental skills training, sports psychology, I ended up doing my dissertation on motivation. And so, of course, I was very engrossed in all of that literature. And so all of those things that I was learning and I cared about in this academic way, I could also play around with and practice in this physical athletic way. And I just felt that it helped me to develop the way that I communicate in the room with the other spinners and how I provide a class where every level of person can participate at any level they want to on that particular day. And so I think all of that academia was really informing me and helping me to gain more and more expertise and mastery, which my athletic self really loved, of course. Um, so SPIN has given me so much. It's hard to even enumerate um, how meaningful it was to me. And also graduate school is really hard. And I also worked full time. I was running a substance abuse program for people in early recovery. Um, the first couple, three years, I think, of my doctoral program, and then the last three years, I was working in other kinds of clinical settings. So um, to go from settings working with people who are addicted to drugs who never do what you say to being in a spinning classroom where people hang on every word you say, it was very neutralizing. It was very, it helped to create this equilibrium in my life and a space for me um, that I just think was unparalleled. It really has been a gift in my life. And now today I 
I feel that I bring my psychologist self and my athletic self into that spinning environment. And I like to do it as a professional, but I still like to do it for me too, you know, in this very personal way. Yeah, I like that. So you sort of alluded to your impression of what it would be going into it and how that differed from your experience having experienced it. Like you were thinking, okay, free gym membership. Oh, all right, let's get her done, save some money. But then you spoke very passionately about uh, how it impacted you, how it made you better, how it helped you uh, press forth through a lot of like uh, demand and commitment yeah. and stuff like that. Like what, what sort of advice or insight would you give your younger self as you were like approaching this this option this thing that you thought maybe you would do maybe you wouldn't um if you did it it would just be for the money and nothing else would come of it Hmm. well when i think back on that i think of how scared i was of criticism and of not doing it well and of not really being that good in the beginning so when I look back on that, I would have said to myself, you're not supposed to be good in the beginning. <laughs> That's what the beginning is all about. Like you need to get your reps in. It's practice. You don't go in there and magically have command of the room and expertise. I think that's what I would have said to myself back then is just be okay with being in the experience of being a learner and being a beginner and don't worry so much about being incompetent because incompetent is not a reflection of your worth. It's just where you are on your timeline, you know, of learning. And I, I think, I don't know if I would have been able to soothe myself, but that's the, that's what I needed to know, you know, at that time in my life or in that context anyway. Well, that's an important message to put out there. Uh, recently, I've had a lot of feedback about people that are like, well, how can I get on podcasts? And I'm like, well, look, look at my podcast and like this the lifestyle chase has been around for like 19 months and mm -hmm. I told them about how like there was a time when I was like how can I get on podcasts and I was like well looks like I'm gonna have to start one and now <laughs> 19 months of, of reps or episodes or whatever you want to see it as then I have a podcast that other people want to be on but it doesn't necessarily uh, necessitate other people's demand of me on theirs I just have my platform that I worked on and I might not be mm -hmm. right where my expectations want me to be. Like everybody's going to have these high expectations, whether they're a trainer wanting to get a thousand likes on their social media or right. whether they're um, just anybody in any profession wanting to be somewhere where they're not. And it's just a matter of like finding the ways to, to put in the reps to, to move forward. That's right. So, it's all practice. Absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. I have some listeners, I'm sure, I'm positive, that uh, they're going to be in a similar situation to what you were in where they their their life is just on fire. There's just so many things going on and they're just trying to find balance and sanity and move forward. Um, mm -hmm. how, how do you navigate like prioritizing the things that are essentially important when it comes to making the decision between like work, having, having finances, but also... Uh, balancing and maintaining your own your own mental health and stuff mm. so how to create balance essentially in your life yeah that, that balance that, that is uh elusive like nobody really knows yeah. how to define it but we need to yeah. uh navigate it in some way to to stay strong and keep going yeah so i don't know if this is exactly the answer to your question but 
what's coming to mind for me is, you know, when I think about, talk about balance or when I'm asked about it, I believe that many people aspire to this sort of state of balance as if it were um, like this static, you know, you achieve balance and then it's, it's stable and it's steady and it, it's immovable and it's there. And I don't think about it that way. I think about it like surfing. Um, that surfing is, if you've ever surfed before, it is extremely dynamic. You're always moving all of your, all of your toes and all of your muscles and your core is, you're just always making these adjustments. And there's like the furious work of getting up on the board. And then there's all of this, you're just constantly recalibrating and, and using your proprioception. And it's not a static sport it is very very challenging to stay still and stay on the board and that's because you're in the sea you're in the ocean and I, and that is what life is I, you know balance the way that we stay balanced is to always be making adjustments and backing off and then pushing harder um enjoying a moment but then moving on to the next thing so i think to think about it as the state that you achieve and then you're done is a setup because life doesn't work that way. And if you have this mindset where you approach it as um, it's a moving target, life is a moving target and things are always changing. So how am I dynamically moving in that process? Then it takes the pressure off perfection. It takes the ideal away that you like achieve this thing and then you've got it. And it, it puts you into a process orientation, which is like, I'm always here in the moment and I'm just working on where I am. And if I can enjoy it and if I can be approaching goals, I got it. I like it. That's a good answer. You answered it exactly as I would expect you to. It All right. <laughs> good. So I think one of the episodes I listened to about three of them this morning, because it's like you listen to an episode and it's poof gone. So you have to kind of refresh. Mm. And the one mm. that I believe I was listening to was the cut the fit, get or cut the cut the shit, get fit. Yes, <laughs> yes. From Paul, yeah. <laughs> um, so in that episode, I believe you guys talked about decision matrix and I was intrigued by that. So I want to oh, hear yeah. a bit more about decision matrix and just as though I was in a position where I needed the decision matrix as a tool, I would like to mm -hmm. hear your stance on how you would explain that to me in a way that I might be more empowered to use that tool. Yeah. A decisional matrix is an exercise that you can use to flush out every aspect of a choice and every way, every all of the different ways that you feel about that choice because there are myriad of ways. And it stems from cognitive behavioral therapy. And what I like about it is that it allows for every side of an argument. And it provides somebody with something that is tangible, that they can write and that they can build on. So essentially, um, usually when a client presents, whether they're I'm seeing them for clinical work because they're a patient or if I'm seeing them for consultation or sports psych because they're a client, they typically are presenting with some choice. Maybe it's a change that they are thinking about making in their life. Maybe it's a relationship. Uh, maybe it's giving up something, a habit, you know, something like that. But typically there's like ambivalence brings somebody in to have a conversation. 
So by ambivalence, I mean there's this tension that's like, I like hamburgers, but I want a hot body, <laughs> you know, or I'm boiling it down to something really simple, but um, I love this person. This person cheats on me, you know, what do I do? And um, if somebody's coming to talk to me, they have been thinking about this problem for longer than five seconds. And so they have a lot of reasons, pro and con, and they don't need me to make the decision. People will often be like, just tell me what to do, you know? And of course, the only person who knows what they should do is that person. So a decisional matrix, essentially, I'll have them take out a sheet of paper. Uh, if they if they hate that, they can use their computer and put a big, um, basically to, to create four squares or to make a big letter T basically on their paper so that you get four different boxes. And um, on the top, left you write pros on the top right you write cons on the side um over on the left hand side of the page on the top you write change and then on the bottom you write don't change so you get these four different containers of reasons so the pros of changing the cons of changing um the pros of not changing and the cons of not changing so anybody who's listening can can think of something right now in their life that they're considering, that they're contemplating doing something about, and you can make those four containers. And then what I want somebody to do, I usually assign it as homework, is I want you to fill that sucker up as much as you possibly can. So put as many reasons as you can think of in each one of those containers as possible. And usually people will like sit down the first time and and maybe get like, 75%, 80% of it banged out. But I like to give a little bit longer so that maybe after a couple days, something else pops up into their mind. They think of another reason or they have a conversation with a person that they're trying to decide what to do about and then something else gets added. So that by the time I see them, they have really done their own data collection of what is in their heart and in their mind um, about the change. Sometimes there's this quantitative effect where they just see like, holy cow, there's a lot of reasons to change. And these reasons to not change are pretty lame, or there's only a couple of them. Sometimes it's qualitative. It's like, they'll look at it and say, you know, the, the pros of not changing, like these really reflect my values and what I believe in and what I think is the right thing to do. So it can be helpful just to look at it from this kind of bird's eye view to to gain a little bit of objectivity i like it yeah. and i think a lot of people will see some some benefit in actually implementing that in the scenario where someone was to uh hesitate to try that tool what would be your best way to motivate them to to give it a shot to make to get introspective and yeah. to get working on on their solutions yeah so i if they were resistant to that, I would try to learn what they might be interested in. Uh, what, one thing I've learned, particularly in the last year, I feel like in 2019, I kept learning the lesson, all roads lead to Rome. And what I mean by that is when you decide to work on yourself, it doesn't really matter whether you decide to work on your deadlift or your book list or your nutrition, you are going to improve yourself and you're going to come upon those parts of yourself that need addressing or that need growth. 
So I've learned with patients, if they don't like one intervention that I'm recommending, let's see what else they might like. Because if they like the intervention, if it's agreeable to them, or if, it, if they have buy-in to it, that's the one that's going to be more effective. I think it's just like for, for trainers, when they are selecting exercises, like you might have a client who doesn't like to barbell deadlift, but kettlebell deadlifting, they're like, ooh, they like that. So who cares? They're still doing a hinge. They're still doing a deadlift. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. And so I feel the same way. There's other ways to go about unpacking um, your thoughts and your feelings and your values and your goals besides a decisional matrix. So I would talk to that individual to try to learn more about what what helps them to think and how they visualize things or um, and then see if we can come up with some other some some other way for them to unpack it. I love it. That's awesome. And it, the other thing about having a podcast is it kind of gives a person that ability to uh, they don't have to talk to me directly. They don't have to talk to you directly. Nobody knows that they're listening to it. Nobody knows what they're implementing, what mm -hmm. they're learning. Um, mm -hmm. They have that ability to feel empowered at their own pace in in their own um in their own way where nobody has to know that they're, they're working on themselves and nobody has to know that they tried something and nobody has to know That's like right. if they reach out to somebody, um, nobody has to know how they found them. It's just, you, you get that ability to, uh, to be able to help yourself when you're ready. Yeah. And actually what you have just said there, I think is also a beautiful description of another thing I love about spin is that nobody knows what you're doing on your bike. Yep. Um, and I, that's one of the beauties of it is in so many other forms of exercise, there's social comparison or there's like feeling incompetent or there's all these things that like get in the way. And with spin, like I tell my students all the time, you can just put your hand down on the knob and fake like you're turning. And then you can just make this ugly face. If you're worried about other people thinking about how hard you're working, just pretend you don't have to really actually work hard. Um, but what happens is people do what they want to do, which is usually to work hard. I find that people typically, if they've shown up, that's what they want. It's so true. Um, it kind of gives me an idea of a quick topic that I want to bring up. And it's just mm. how a lot of people, they'll, they'll find their thing that they love and we'll use spin as the example. And let's say they did it every single day and then they find that their self-worth is attached directly to this bike. Um, yeah. How do you navigate that with people? Like for me, I try and empower them to see how many other things that they can commit themselves to and succeed in. But what's your experiences mm -hmm. with this? So I would say like, what do you love? You know, I, I would want to get the factors out of it. Like when I'm spinning, you know, to get, it's easy to get people talking about what they love and what they're good at. So there's a lot of data there. So they might say something like, I love that I can just go really, really, really fast and I'm just in my world and I can close my eyes and, you know, or they might say something like, I love that, like, if I'm having a really tired day, I can crank it up less. Or if I'm having a really strong day, I can, you know, blast myself. And so from that, I might extract the essence of that that is separate from the bike, like, it sounds like you really you really like to have the freedom to choose how much intensity to add. Or it sounds like you like to go fast. I wonder what else you could do where you could go fast. Um, so I would, yeah, I would try to pick those elements out. 
um, and then reflect that back to them and see if there is a reaction of excitement or interest or curiosity, you know, or not. Well, I think that's an important tool to have in the toolkit. Like for myself, I used to, for perspective purposes, I spun like probably eight times a week for like a year and a half. And then I took like a few months off and I tried CrossFit and then I was doing my certification for personal training. And at the same time, I was instructing at a studio and I did that for a year, but I was diving more into personal training. So then I stepped away from instructing, but then I was, Ooh, I miss spin and I'm kind of getting a little bit chubby. And so I went back to a studio and I rode for like a year and a half and I was going probably seven times a week again, but it's like, what I started to learn about myself was uh, I really need connection in my life. Um, I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm. I thrive off of like one-on-one connection like we have here where mm-hmm. we're able to like talk about things that are meaningful. So mm-hmm. where, where I got introspective is, see, I, I haven't ridden on a spin bike, I think, since like October or November. And I'm totally mm-hmm. okay with that because mm-hmm. I've addressed that what I've found that makes me thrive is this one-on-one connection that I would get maybe with like the instructor or with the rider yeah. next to me. Um, yeah. I get that rush of adrenaline where when I apply myself, I get results. Like I would like to see like when I was just, we had a leaderboard at the place I was at and I would like to see when I was just crushing it. But then I apply that to say this podcast And I'm like, okay, I'm impacting change. Like it doesn't have to be about me, but like I can tell that the things that I do in the world can help other people. And so that's how I navigate it. So hopefully maybe me talking about that and you giving your advice can empower other people to uh, just kick ass in all elements and not be so attached to one piece of fitness equipment or like one facility. Like say somebody moves to an island with no spin bikes. They're still a badass. Like they're they're still gonna crush it. They can still apply themselves and level up and wake up feeling empowered and be part of the six a.m. club, five a.m. club, whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are parts to every story that can be taken out of that context and applied to another context. There are always elements that are transferable skills that are transferable so i think it's important to recognize what those are and also to keep in mind if you can get competent if you can get strong if you can get good at spin you can get good at something else too i love it that's great um perfect segue to my next topic and like sometimes i write down lists of topics sometimes i don't this time i did um it's on <laughs> self self-image and projecting insecurities on others. And so I'm going to give you sort of an example to tie into. Okay. So okay. I I often get some really good positive feedback, but sometimes just out of nowhere, I get like the most scathing reviews or just really just hurtful comments. But then I, I'm self-aware enough to understand that it's coming from a place of somebody's just working on themselves. Um, so it's, it's usually like I've gotten one star reviews on my podcast and I've been like, well, what, what did I do? Or I've gotten just, mm-hmm. I, I once got a, a comment that uh, I was full of myself. And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, I talk about myself a lot, but that's kind of my job. I, I have to be relatable. Yeah. So what kind of tools for someone that's uh, trying to work on themselves, but they're, they're mm-hmm. still finding that they have insecurities, what kind of tools would you give for them? Yeah, we all have insecurities. Um, 
I guess I'm going to answer this in probably a roundabout way and ask you some questions back. But the first thing that comes to mind is how much you are putting yourself out there, you know, to do a podcast. And I think there are all kinds of ways that we can put ourselves out there or not, you know. And so in life, I think you undertake certain things if you're ready to put yourself out there that way. Like you doing a podcast, you're you're putting yourself out there. So it's like maybe it doesn't tickle, but you have the ego strength. You have the capacity to handle criticism, feedback that doesn't feel good because you care about that goal and you're engaged in that process and you think it has a lot to offer. Um, I do think there's times in life where people try something or do something and it's just too much. Like the criticism that comes from it or the judgment or whatever, it just doesn't feel good. And so one thing I encourage people to do is like, what is that about? Is that like this situation is unhealthy? Is that you're not ready for that right now? Is that we need to address some other part of yourself that is really getting triggered by criticism, feedback? Um, is there a way to help you heal some kind of insecurity and then maybe go back to whatever this goal is? Um, so I'm, uh, I'm not sure what to really ask back other than um, insecurities can mean a lot of different things. And all of us care about what other people think about us. There's just some things I think for individuals that are more loaded than others. Uh, like, um, I know there's some women, maybe some women who are listening who do things like fitness competitions and body competitions. Most women I know would rather die than get on a stage mostly naked and ask for people to judge their appearance, you know, but there are people out there who will spend months like preparing for that, dressing for that in order to incur basically criticism and judgment and evaluation from others. So I just think there's such a broad range of how people approach their insecurities because from fitness competitors I've worked with in therapy, you know, what they'll say to me is a lot of women at those competitions are extremely insecure. So in some ways it makes no sense why someone very insecure about their body would do that to themselves. But in other ways, you can see, you can understand what it is they're looking for in that. Yeah. So I guess it's just this trade-off of what are you looking for? What are you going to get out of it if you get it? And is this worth it to you? Well, I like that. And I kind of have a bit of an example to use in myself mm -hmm. that you might add, mm -hmm. be able to add talking points to. So essentially, I'm human just like anybody else. I'm going to look at other trainers and I'm going to be like, ah, oh, damn it, they're doing way better than me. Or I'm going to look at other podcasts and I'll be like, damn it, they're way higher on the charts. And I'm going to feel like it's kind of like the Facebook notification when it goes ding and then you have to address it. It's like, oh, I have to pay attention to that. But I've learned about myself that when these things kind of make me like, like hair stands mm -hmm. up on end and I'm like, mm -hmm. this bugs me. Well, then that's almost like uh, my, it's a signal to me on whether that's something I'm willing to work on or something that I can just let go. So in the instance that it's like, say, my podcast, and I'm like, oh, dang it, I'm not where I want to be on the charts. I really feel self-conscious when I look at this other podcast. Well, I can either work on it by listening to other podcasts, by mm -hmm. becoming a better listener, by uh, uh, promoting myself better. Like sometimes it's just people are, are shit at promoting themselves 
and they're just doing it in a way that's hard to hard for people to be respect receptive to. Um, so I can either take that avenue or I can take the avenue and I've heard it from so many people I forget who to give credit to, but it's basically like stay stay in your wheelhouse. Like if if I'm not good at like doing okay. the intricate corrective exercise and I'm more good at just making people stronger in a general population way, why would I get worried about the other trainer that's really, really good at corrective exercise? Why don't I just stay in my wheelhouse? Like so for anybody that uh, thinks about podcasts or thinks about just anything like you have to assess like what you're looking at and think well is this something that I've ever been really really good at because like I come from like a long family line of talkers my dad talks my uncles talk my brothers (laughs) talk we all talk so like this is sort of a a no-brainer once I get comfortable I talk Mm. and so I can sustain this but for somebody who can't talk or maybe that's just not something that comes natural or they really struggle to get to that place. They they should maybe focus all of their energy on the things that they're really good at and then they get further. So then I'll, I'll turn the table over to you. Do you have anything to add to that? Because I hate to take over this podcast where you're my guest. <laughs> well, what you're describing is taking a strength-based approach, which I'm in full agreement with. It is finding the things that you're good at and that you love, which tend to be the same things or very similar things and you leverage those things you use those things that's your power you know it's like your glutes like it's your biggest strongest set of muscles like use that shit but there are all these other ways for you to grow so if you want to work on a quote-unquote weakness or something that's outside of your wheelhouse you can do that but you can do that while you're utilizing your strengths and i i think that's what you're describing yeah Well, I mean, it's just so much easier. Basically, when we have some positive feedback in a larger portion of what we're thinking about, essentially like working on on your wheelhouse while working on the things that you are struggling with, if you're getting that positive feedback while working with what you're struggling with, it's going to be easier to sustain the things you're struggling with versus if all you're working on is things that you struggle with. Like in my own experiences, I know that's a quick way to experience burnout. I don't know about other people, but I know that's for me. Like I have to work on something that I'm really thriving at while working at the other things. So like I put a lot of effort into my podcast and like a little bit of effort into like personal relationships. Like, Mm -hmm. like that's, that's just how it works. I get something where I get like, good job, Chris, in order to give myself the energy to put in the effort into the things where I might not always hear good job, Chris, you know? Yep. And that's the positive reinforcement. We all need that. Every single one of us. So something that I've experienced often and well, I mean, not to put me in a different uh, column than anybody else. I think everybody experiences this at some point and a lot of people will relate to it in different ways, but gaslighting, Um, just being made to feel guilty for, for things that weren't necessarily anything that we did. Like, can you speak more to that? Because I might not have the greatest understanding of it. So that's why I wanted to talk to you about it. Yeah, I'm not sure what you mean. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure what you mean by the question about gaslighting. So like, I essentially, my my exposure to the expression gaslighting has been primarily from social media. So is this like a commonly found term in your line of work? Or is it just sort of like... No. Okay. When I hear the word expression gaslighting, I thought that meant something like leading someone on. I've heard of it in like context of like dating. 
So you might, I think you're talking about something that I'm not familiar with. Okay. Well, I guess I'll just explain it a little bit further just so people have okay. just some substance. And essentially it's just like, say you're in a situation where you are trying to add value to somebody or you're supporting and it's like everything that you can do to to be there in that situation whether it be like a friend or whatever but then they're kind of giving you feedback that gives you that feeling that everything that you are doing is invalued does, does that make uh, sense so getting a lot get, get, trying hard but getting negative feedback essentially yeah uh-huh well, that doesn't sound like any fun. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. What is your question about that? Um, how a person can, I guess it's navigating boundaries and understanding like where you have to uh, focus your energy and attention in order to not be stuck in a, a state of never having fun, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, what comes to mind is um, a training actually that I had to listen to many, many times when I worked in substance abuse, which is, which was about the idea that all relationships are negotiation and that to be in a relationship means that you are always open to negotiation and that you're constantly concerned about reciprocity and how, you know, each person takes their turn or eat, there's a give and a take that goes on. And, um, in this uh, training that I listened to many times, the person who's narrating it says addiction is a relationship with something other than a person because there's no negotiation. But when you have relationships with real people in real life, sometimes there's a give and sometimes there's a take and it's not very predictable. You know, people have good times and bad times. And so I think in the context of what you're describing, all of us have different levels of how much we can give and how much we can take and how much we need. And we sort of form these relationships around us based on what's easy for us or what we're attracted to. And boundaries essentially means that you are taking care of yourself in these different relationships so that you're not giving too much away or you're not taking too much on. So it's wanting, it's respecting that negotiation. It's not just me taking, 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 or me giving, giving, giving. There's a, I have to communicate, um, like this isn't working for me, or this is too much for me, or it's not okay for me when you do this, or it's not okay for me when you do that. So if an individual is in a situation where they're giving a lot and they're working hard and they're only getting negative feedback, um, it's probably time for them to check in with their boundaries and to see what it is that they need and how they can advocate for that or ask for that. Yeah. And I think you answered that beautifully because it's like, it's a really tough question and just sometimes I explain things in a goofy way, but I have more analogies to sort of add to it, to make it more relatable. Like okay. yes, yesterday I did like a little bit of a Facebook post in my story and it got a lot of feedback and it kind of like related to the fact that like men and men in mental health and like, the things we talk about, the things we don't talk about. And the thing that I talked about was um, just how how much I need connection in that I okay. can still see myself as okay, but I know that I need like in-person connection. And I know that I need to prioritize like the in-person over the on the phone stuff because okay. that's that's what keeps me in, in a good in a good state. That's what keeps me balanced. 
Um, and in a visit that I had with a friend, she, she gave me a great, uh, a great analogy for what I tend to do, what I tend to fall into, which I think is going to be relatable for quite a lot of people that gravitate towards my content. Um, imagine I had six buckets full and I gave out like seven buckets and not only did I give out seven buckets, but I lost the bucket. So when I needed to have a full bucket, I got no bucket. Like that was what she described to me as what I tend to do. And that's like, I'm okay with being totally vulnerable on my own podcast. Like that's, that's a great rate to relate to people. But that was something that I found that I was doing with like more than one person, more than two people, like probably like several people. And it was just my lack of self-awareness in that. Okay, Chris, hold on to your bucket. Like don't, don't freaking throw out your bucket. And if you only have six, don't try to give out seven. Like, does that make sense? Yes, it does. And that's, and that's boundaries. I think what's important at looking at that is, you know, somebody might come in and say, like, I have a tendency to give it all away and give too much. And then I don't have anything left for myself. What is the goal in that behavior? And you have said it already, which is I want to connect with people. And so one of the mechanisms by which you try to obtain that is to give of yourself, to elicit the same in return. And um, so what I would invite, is, let's say you're a client of mine, you know, I might invite you to think about, are there other ways you could ask or um, try to elicit somebody else's attention or time or care? And there's something that you've brought up a couple times in this podcast that I wanna address directly. In the beginning, you mentioned the summit being a lot of dudes and um, you didn't really go down that road, but I heard you kind of notice that, that door there, that topic. And then again, just re a couple minutes ago, you brought up this idea about masculinity, I think, and what it is like for men to try to connect. And I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about women and the things that women have to go through. But in my professional life, I work with mostly men. And I have really come to appreciate the tremendous difficulty that men have in um, taking care of themselves emotionally, of connecting um, and having intimacy that we all want in emotional and communicative ways because of how men are socialized and because of how they're gendered. And because of years of working in addiction and years of working in sports and now working with people who are executives, I work with a lot of men who are manly, masculine men. And I notice that um, there is this constant theme of they're a human being too, and they've really had to kind of cover that up or try to attain connection or attention or intimacy in all kinds of other ways than just asking for it or being open or being vulnerable about it. Um, and so I don't know if that's a road you want to go to, but I heard the opportunity for it a couple times. And I just wanted to shine a light on that because I have realized in the last maybe three years of my practice, like women have it tough, but men have their own crosses to bear and their own difficulties in, in navigating things socially and emotionally. Yeah, you are on brand with uh, how you took that. That was perfect. And it's... Uh... <laughs> The feedback that I got, I got lots of feedback yesterday on this post because um, the local fitness magazine also reposted this thing. Like I, I was just like sitting 
on my phone in the middle of the night as people do when they can't fall asleep. And I just posted this thing and I was like, look, this is how I address what I need. And sometimes I need to communicate better. Sometimes I need to be more Mm -hmm. blunt when like I need to just talk to somebody about talking to them because there's going to be pushback. There's going to be rain checks. There's going to be cancellations. There's going to be people on holiday, but you almost, you gotta like implement these things just like we implement our, our resistance training and our nutrition, like as much as it's easy to just stay home and just kind of like veg out because that is, it doesn't take as much, uh, like you're not pushing against resistance to stay complacent. You're pushing against resistance to uh, be very clear and concise with, with your needs. And at the same time with me and me learning boundaries, I have to be very clear and concise with what I can offer as help and what I can't offer as help. And so for a lot of people, I'm very clear on like, okay, like as a person in your life, what I can offer is various times throughout the week, I can be a person that goes for a walk with you outside, but I can't give you like endless hours on my phone or else that will deter my own health because I, Mm -hmm. as a human, need physical content or contact and I need, um, I need exercise and I need to be around plants and trees and meditate. Mm-hmm. And so I only have 24 hours in my day. Um, but yeah, like it's just being able to communicate better and getting getting that feedback from men was really eye-opening to me yes. because it's, uh, it's not just dudes that look like me, talk like me, walk like me. Um, it's not just people who uh, are in my same time in, my, in their life. Like for me, I'm 28 years old, single, no kids live by myself but the people relating to me some of them have grandkids some of them have kids some of them Mm -hmm. are younger than me and it's just it was so crazy to see that when you put this out there everybody's feeling it and so it's just I guess understanding like the people have you ever heard the expression check on your strong friends Mm -mm. so it's sort of like a popularized expression that might be sort of in my my niche community kind of thing like just people that I talk to often but it's an expression that I like to use because it's kind of like a signal but I think sometimes it get, gets misinterpreted because I find that uh, a lot of people if they were to draw out their circle of friends and be like okay now this person is bulletproof like this person they are mm-hmm. like the leader they set the pace they uh, speak at events they're always in front of things like it includes those strong friends. It's not just like the friends that PR'd on their deadlift on their third training session. It's it's everybody. And mm-hmm. like that expression should be all encompassing. Like it's check on your parents, check on your older siblings, check on your younger siblings, check on your kids. Like uh, implement these moments to, to have these like really real conversations because um, becoming a better communicator, which is a huge part of why you're on this podcast is one of the most holistic wellness things that you can do. Like we can go to seminars and learn how to lift better all day long, but like something is missing. And I find communication to be such an underrated skill and just being able to uh, Mm -hmm. be clear on like boundaries and be clear on what we need and really understand just how the brain works and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, you are preaching to the choir (laughs) on that one. (laughs) Yeah, basically all of my... You know, my my bachelor's degree was basically just psychology, but my master's degree is in counseling. My doctoral degree is in 
counseling and sports psych. It's basically counseling is communication. Yeah. And how to unpack thoughts and feelings and how to um, negotiate and um, how to connect. And so I, I find that um, in the fitness space, one of the, the most exciting thing about it is that fitness professionals are counseling. They are communicating. It is the most powerful tool they have in affecting change. Um, and that it's really helpful to have conversations about their experiences to, you know, offer education or workshops or trainings. And there's not enough support I feel in the fitness space. Um, so like in my professional training, I had to have a lot of supervision. I had to have my own therapy. I had to be in groups um, of my peers and get feedback, but you know, about communication, about how I came across, about my counseling and interviewing skills. And I, I think um, in the fitness space, you guys don't have that same support system. You don't have that same training and it leaves you wanting and it leaves you vulnerable for burning out giving too much of yourself um, and, and all kinds of other things that just don't, don't get um, learned about when you're not shining a light on the skills. Yeah. And like for anybody listening that might feel like they relate to things that I've talked about to give perspective for me to offer what I offer as a human takes about like 15 people, 15 people to text, 15 people for me to talk to. Um, their professions range from, it can be people like yourself. We're talking on the podcast. It can be people who are like a CEO at a company. It can be like lawyers, doctors, all kinds of things. But like nobody gets through this stuff by themselves. And no. for me to make that loud and clear, like if you're by yourself, like network, find find your people that help you feel strong and keep them there. Like uh, be like me and organize these coffee meetups or um, tell them where their, where their role is in your life. And if you're able to express that clearly, then they can fulfill that role perhaps. And if not, well, you have needs and you need to, you need to check those boxes. It's just like uh, eating your vegetables. It's same thing. It's so important and it's worth uh, promoting. So there, there's a word that I heard in one of the episodes I was crushing through this morning, arbitrary inference. Can you explain <laughs> that for me? <laughs> <laughs> arbitrary inference. So arbitrary inference is a cognitive distortion. It, it, that also stems from cognitive behavioral therapy. And there are ways in which people think negatively sometimes, or they use ways of thinking that are um, irrational, that are not helpful, that make negativity worse. And one of them is arbitrary inference. So arbitrary inference means you take this one little thing that happens. So like, Let's say you're at the gym and it's your first time trying out a Turkish getup. And as you're in the middle of your Turkish getup, you, you know, your eyes fall across, you know, over to this person across the room and you see them kind of like furrowing their brow and turning their head sideways and looking at you. An arbitrary inference would be like, oh my God, that person thinks I look like a stupid idiot and they're wondering why I'm doing that and they think I shouldn't be doing that. So I shouldn't be doing that. And then it makes you feel bad and it makes you feel embarrassed and then, you know, you stop doing your Turkish getup. That is an arbitrary inference. So it means you take this random thing like that guy, you know, he could have had a headache. He could have been really hungry. He could have been wondering why his girlfriend said some silly thing she said. 
He could have been like, wow, what is that cool thing that that person is doing? That looks like a lot of fun. But we take something that is ambiguous or unclear and we put a story on it. And then we tell ourselves that story and it, it takes us out. It brings us down. So how can I be more supportive to a person experiencing arbitrary inference? You challenge the thinking. Like, sounds like you saw this guy randomly furrowing his brow and you created a story. Uh, could anything else have been going on there? Or, yeah. you know, I mean, there's different ways to chat. Like, how do you know that's what he was thinking? Or, you know, I think depending on who the individual is, we have some people in our lives who we can be pretty challenging and, and pretty confrontational with and the other people who need a much more gentle approach. But you challenge the thinking uh, very, 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 very regularly. I will talk about somebody's thinking with them and they'll be like, yeah, that's that's probably an overestimation or, yeah, I'm probably putting my own spin on that or, you know, I'll say something like, is that a feeling or a fact? And they'll say, yeah, that's a feeling. It's not really that. So I think challenging can be really helpful because the person can often have insight and say, yeah, I already felt, you know, kind of incompetent and weird about doing the Turkish getup. So I think I just took that feeling and I made up a story when I saw that guy's face. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we roped that in. I have another question. It's our last question. It's if you could give one piece of advice on how to live your life to the fullest in the most authentic way, what would that piece of advice be? Oh, man, it's a big piece of advice. Um, I, the first thing that comes to mind is like, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> because the answer is inside of you. Um, and, and the way to find the answer is what lights you up, what makes you happy, what gets you excited, um, what makes you feel curious. You know, nobody else is the expert on you. It's, it's you are. Um, and the way to find out more is either what makes you happy, what is fun, or what you're really good at, because typically those things are the, in the same vein. They're the same. That was a perfect answer. So thank you so, so much thank for joining you. me today. Oh, thanks for having me. Hello. If you're still here, thank you for making it through to the end. I really appreciate you as a listener. And all the shares and the traction that the podcast has been getting is wonderful to see. Um, each time that something resonates with you or helps you out, a big help or a pay it forward to me is to promote this podcast. When somebody says, hey, what podcast do you listen to? Say the Lifestyle Chase. Uh, tag me so that I see it because that's the biggest boost that you can give me as a, as a human being. I really pour my heart and soul into this project. And as it stands, it is definitely like very much a, a, uh, a free podcast for you in which I'm not uh, paying my bills with the thing. So positive feedback fills my soul makes me feel special and yeah like i'm just being honest with you so thank you for listening have yourself a good day we'll catch you uh for our next episode bye-bye see ya sayonara bye-bye <laughs>